Um, Kia Church. I will just um, pray before we read God's word. Um, Father, thank you so much that we have your word to us. Thank you that it's in our language. We can access it easily. And I pray that you'd help me to read it clearly and Andrew to, to um, explain it clearly to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so the reading is from 1 John 3 verse 10 um, to the end of the chapter. And that's found on page 1055 in the church Bibles. Starting at verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Well, good morning. Happy birthday. Um, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the owner of the infamous living room that you hear about from time to time, where our church started uh, all those years ago. Um, uh, thank you for joining us for church today. If you're new or visiting, uh, can I extend a, a special welcome to you? Uh, we're really glad that you joined us. There might be lots of little in-house things for a birthday Sunday, but we're really, uh, birthday parties are places where you invite people to come and celebrate with you. And so we're really glad that you are here with us to celebrate. And please stick around for lunch. You like, that's not like a token invitation. Like we totally would love you uh, to join us for lunch later on. Um, uh, but what we do, uh, at our, uh, for our birthday service is what we do every week, which is we gather and we open the Bible to hear God speak through his word. Uh, now, this p- passage is not one that's particularly uh, picked for a birthday morning, um, but uh, if we're going to be a church that is faithfully following Jesus, uh, not just for the next year uh, or the next eight years, uh, but for as long as the Lord wills uh, until he returns, then we need to get our heads around uh, what John says here. Uh, So with that in mind, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that uh, we can gather together this morning to um, celebrate what you're doing in our church and what you have done and uh, look forward to what you do in the future. Uh, Lord, we do just give you thanks and praise um, for, um, for, for, for revealing yourself to us in Jesus. 
for gathering us together, for giving us a hope and a purpose uh, to make you known in this place. And Lord, we pray now that as we read uh, your word, that you might not just speak to our heads, but speak to our hearts, uh, so that our hearts might be comforted and confident before you, uh, so that we might make it all the way to the end. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask uh, a bit of a sobering question, but uh, uh, when people walk away from Jesus, when they turn their back on Jesus, what does that do to your heart? What does it do to your heart? Uh, Joshua Harris, uh, there's a picture of him on the screen uh, behind me, hopefully, uh, pastor, author, speaker. Uh, For years, he was seen as an energetic, up-and-coming leader of the church. I was on many camps and conferences where his books were promoted. His books sold over a million copies. Uh, And then in 2019, in the kind of the most uh, kind of 21st century way possible, he shared a series of posts on Instagram. The first post was he was leaving his wife. Uh, after many years of marriage, they'd changed, they were heading in different directions, uh, so he was moving on. Eleven days later, he posted that he was leaving his faith. Uh, he wrote, uh, the popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements I have of defining a Christian, I am not a Christian, he wrote, for all the world to see. Before long, Harris wasn't just content with walking away from Jesus. He was now advocating for others to do the same. He started an online course for those who wanted to deconstruct their faith, which, you know, deconstruct, which he called fall away, for those who wanted to fall away from Jesus. And then he started posting quotes like this one. Folks who deconstruct evangelicalism, as in deconstruct their faith in Jesus, they're not dropouts, they're graduates. To see all of this unfold, it troubled my heart. Now, Joshua Harris, he might be one of the most high-profile recently to turn their back on Jesus, but he's not the only one. We could add a whole host of others, famous or even those we call family and friends, people who have walked away. Uh, Now, it's our birthday Sunday. Like I said, it's a time for celebrating and for giving thanks for the last eight years. But to be honest... Uh, We live in the real world. The last eight years haven't all been rainbows and lollipops, right? Uh, There is so much to give thanks to God for, but there are are people uh, who were amongst us who now no longer follow Jesus, and some have turned their back on Jesus in quite public and high-profile and controversial ways. I remember one of the very first conversations I had with uh, someone when I arrived in Wellington. I sat down to have coffee with a member of our launch team. Uh, This was someone who had been uh, praying and helping us prepare even before we had moved to Wellington. And this first conversation I had with them upon landing in Wellington was they had arranged coffee to tell me that they decided they weren't going to be following Jesus anymore. They were out. Not just of church planting, they were out of the faith. Uh, and then there are other stories that just come. They wash through our news feeds. They land in our inbox. They, they, come, across, uh, they come, come to us from across the cafe table as the person explains that they're no longer interested in following Jesus. And it does something to our heart, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, if it doesn't do something to your heart, then I think there might be something you, know, you need to go get your heart checked. Uh, part of my heart breaks... 
Man, another one lost. Do they, know, do they know what they're missing out on? Is there any more we could have done for this person? And if I'm honest, part of my heart gets a bit shaky, unsettled. Far out, if they can fall, what about, what about me? They're so much more talented than smarter and disciplined. They're so much more spiritual than me. What have they worked out that I haven't worked out yet? You see, when people walk away, it can really trouble our hearts. They, our hearts ache for the lost. Our hearts can become anxious and unsettled. And in this passage, 1 John chapter 3, it speaks into that moment. This passage speaks to our hearts. You see, John has written these words to reassure wobbly hearts, to put hearts at rest so that we can be confident that we are the children of God. Have a look with me at chapter 3, verse 19, just uh, right there in the middle. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 19, look at what John writes. He says, This is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. You see, John wants these anxious, unsettled followers of Jesus to be at rest. He wants their hearts to be at rest. Now, if you uh, have been here recently, you might know that uh, one John, we're working our way through this book, he was written to a church that had experienced a split A large group of people had left, and they hadn't just left the church, but they had left Jesus. They'd moved on from Jesus. And now they were casting doubts back at those who remained. And so John is writing to reassure their hearts, to dispel their fears, to comfort them as God's people. And the way that he does it is this. He speaks truth to their hearts. First, he speaks the truth about those who have departed. Then he speaks the truth about living and loving like Jesus. And then he reminds them about the truth of what is most important. The three steps we see in the passage here. So he begins with, uh, he begins with the truth about those who have departed. Uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Uh, what John does here is he, he takes them... Uh, From this moment, he takes them back uh, to the very first book of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 4, to this tragic story of Cain and Abel. Uh, You might not have realized, but over the last few weeks, uh, John keeps referencing Genesis as he's been going through his letter. Uh, There are these constant uh, references to uh, back to the beginning, uh, where John is picking up themes from the opening chapters of the Bible, and he's applying them to the current situation. And what John is saying as he does this is this. He's saying, if you want to understand the present moment... If you want to know who you are, if you want to know what's going on with those who have left, if you want to know what to say to your anxious heart, well, you need to go back to the beginning. And he seeks to comfort them by reminding them about the truth of those who have departed. He's saying that those who have departed, it's nothing new. Their family line can be traced right back to the beginning. So it shouldn't come as any surprise. Have a look there at verse 11. Verse 11, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Uh, Now, some of you might remember from Sunday school, the story of Cain and Abel in the Old Testament book of Genesis. Cain and Abel, they were the sons of Adam and Eve. Uh, But despite being uh, brothers, uh, Cain hated Abel, his brother. Uh, Now, the reason he hated Abel was because uh, God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but God rejected Cain's sacrifice. Uh, Now, Cain uh, had no one to blame for this but himself. Uh, We we read that God accepted uh, Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's because Cain's sacrifice was pretty pathetic. 
Uh, Cain's sacrifice to God back in Genesis chapter 4, it showed he didn't really think much of God. It showed he didn't want to go to too much trouble or expense for God, and so God rejected it. Uh, But his brother Abel, on the other hand, he offered up a costly sacrifice. And he did this because God was important to him. And so God accepted one and rejected the other, which led Cain to be jealous of his brother, eventually hating him and eventually killing him. Now, even though the heart of the problem here was that Cain didn't value God, rather than kind of take the issue up with God, uh, he takes it out on his brother. And so in the words of John, it was because Cain belonged to the evil one. That's why he did it, because he didn't belong to God. Now, John wants these wavering believers to see the truth. He wants them to see that those who have departed, those who hate you for remaining in Jesus, those who persecute you for being obedient to God, we're saying they're just, they're just the same as Cain, the murderer from the beginning. Now, if you've been here, you might have noticed that John is kind of the master of the kind of eschatological insults. Uh, he's called them antichrists. He's called them children of the devil. He's called them liars. And now he's calling them murderers. Now, I don't think John is saying they are literal murderers. Uh, have a look there at verse 13. He says, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now, the language of murderers sounds extreme to our ears, but for John and his original readers, it was a real possibility. But what he's saying here is that the heart that is filled with hatred, well, that is a mark of those who are children of Cain, not children of God. And John wants these believers, these these wobbly believers, to remember this truth. He wants them to remember that those who have left you, those who revile you, those who slander you, those who have turned vicious against you because you keep following Jesus, he wants them to remember that that sort of self-confident, self-righteous opposition, it comes because they hate God. And so they'll hate you as his children. And it comes, and it it hurts, but it shouldn't be a shock to us, John says. I think 15 centuries of Christendom have lulled us into thinking that the world should love us, or at least tolerate us. But John reminds them of the truth, verse 13. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Do not be surprised, he says. Now, often I don't think we really believe these verses. I don't think we do. We see a Christian who's being beat up in the media uh, or being picked on at work, and we assume they've done something to deserve it. Maybe they were overly combative. Maybe they went looking for a fight. Maybe they were foolish and should have exercised a bit more wisdom about what they did or what they said. And we think to ourselves, I'll be more reasonable. I'll be more loving. I'll be more careful with my words. I'll exercise more wisdom in my actions. And so I'll be okay. They won't come for me. Right? Do you think that when you see that in the paper? I do. Well, according to John, no. Look at verse 12. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did they murder him? And here it is. Why did they murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's were righteous. 
It was because he was righteous. Because he was good. Because he was faithful. That is why he was hated and killed. And John, he speaks the truth to our hearts, to our wavering hearts. This has been happening to the righteous ever since the very beginning. It happened to the Lord Jesus, the most righteous one of all. So children of God, do not lose heart, even if the world hates you. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart and do not respond in kind, point two, because we follow the example of love. We follow Jesus. Uh, We saw this right at the end of last week's passage, chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, It says this, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. You see, they can be sure that they are God's children because of the love they have for one another. Uh, Love, we saw, is is a family likeness, a family trait of the children of God. Now, we need to be clear here. John's point is not saying that the Christian family is better uh, at loving than the other family, as though, like, you know, love is just this thing that is kind of exists amongst all people and we're just better at doing it. He's not saying that. He's saying that we will have a completely different definition of love, of what love actually is. Have a look at verse 16. Verse 16, this is my favorite verse in the Bible. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John is saying we have a completely different definition of love. Now both families, the family of Cain and the family of Jesus, they both talk about love. But Cain's family is marked by self-love. But John wants us to understand that only one family really understands love. The true definition of love, the true definition of love that comes from the one who laid down his life in love. Now, we live in a moment in our culture, uh, a moment where, we, where there's constant talk about love. We can't stop talking about love. Love wins. Love is love. All you need is love. It's everywhere. Uh, we're now in November. It's the run-up to Christmas. Uh, Christmas movies are going to be on the TV. All those Christmas classics like Die Hard and Home Alone and Batman Returns. Uh, there is guaranteed to be one Christmas movie that we played between now and the 25th of December, and that's the romantic comedy Love Actually. Uh, guaranteed it will be on. It follows the lives of eight different couples dealing with their love lives in the frantic lead up to Christmas. Uh, And the point of the movie is that love actually is all around us. Love is everywhere. That's the point of the whole movie. But there is a massive irony. For all the talk of love being all around us, there is nothing in that movie that looks like real love. There is nothing that looks like the love we see here in verse 16. There is nothing in that movie where someone lays down their rights, where they lay down their life for the other. And that's where our culture is at. In the West, we've declared a monopoly on love. We understand love. We embrace love. We set love free. And the rest of the world, it's still gripped by small-minded hate. And we say love wins. But what our culture is saying is unfettered self-expression wins. It's saying, do whatever you think will give you the most personal satisfaction. That's love. When they say love, what they really mean is 
self-love. See, the sad reality of love is love and love wins, those mottos, the sad reality is, is that they will hate you if you get in the way of what they want. They will hate you if you say no to unfettered self-expression. But the people of God, they know that love wins. They know that sacrificial love wins. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You see, as Jesus gave of himself on the cross, as he took on himself the pain and the punishment that we deserve because of our sin, as he did that, his love wins. It defeats death and it defeats sin and it defeats the devil. It triumphed over hate and selfishness and greed. It triumphed over self-love. And this is the model that the children of God follow. This is what sets us apart from the world around us. Not self-giving, not self-taking love, but love which lays down its life for the other. Uh, John goes on in verses 17 and 18 to give examples of this. He says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. John is saying that this sort of love will cost. It means giving of our stuff, giving of ourselves, giving of our time for the good of others, not for the good of ourselves. He says this love will work. It means not just speaking loving words, but doing loving actions. Because this is the love that follows the example of Jesus. The one who didn't just talk the talk of love, but he took up his cross and he laid down his life in the ultimate, the definitive expression of love. So be comforted by the truth. We follow Jesus' example of self-sacrificial love. And so John says we can be reassured, our hearts can rest because we know the truth. And we know the truth about what is most important, point three. We know the truth about what is most important. Verse 19. Verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Uh, Now these verses can be a little bit confusing. Uh, But he's saying this is how we know what is true. Uh, He's deliberately sets things, uh, sorry, uh, John John deliberately sets things in this particular order. Uh, What he's done in the first two points, the first uh, part of our passage is he's set forth before us the truth of God's word. He's told us what is true. And he's told us what is true by the example of Cain, who was the example of hate, and Jesus, the example of love. And then knowing that truth... That means we know where we stand before God. Knowing that truth means that we know we stand before God as his beloved children. And so what John does here is he then takes that truth and he applies it to our hearts. He says we set our hearts at rest in his presence when we know the truth from God's word. 
He applies the truth to our hearts. See, John knows that our hearts can be fickle. He knows that our hearts can be weak. He knows that when the accusations come, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not spiritual enough. God won't forgive you for that. He knows when those accusations come, sometimes our hearts will condemn us. Sometimes our hearts will confuse us. And then when our hearts waver in that moment, what does the world around us tell us to do? It tells us to follow our hearts. Uh, the great philosopher and thinker of the 80s, Paula Abdul, she said, break the rules, stand apart, ignore your head, and follow your heart. Or Steve Jobs, whose commencement address at Stanford went viral, he said, don't be trapped by dogma. Don't let the noises of other people's opinions drown out your own inner voice. Have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. You're feeling troubled? Look inside your heart. Follow your heart. It's the advice of every Disney movie, celebrity, and Pinterest post for the last 20 years. But John says, you don't need to follow your heart. What you need to do is you need to take your heart aside and remind it which way is up. You need to speak the truth to your heart which is what he is doing here. Verse 20, God is greater than our hearts, he says, and he knows everything. Don't let your heart talk to you. Let God talk to your heart. Let God speak his truth to your heart. The truth that he has saved you in Christ. The truth that you belong to him as your child. The truth that you can bring all your hopes and fears to him in prayer, knowing that he hears you. Knowing that he delights to answer you as the prayers of his beloved child. And so with this confidence, with this reality spoken to our hearts, then we are free to live as God's children. We are free to live and love in obedience to God who made us and saved us. We are free to give of ourselves, not have to take from others. We are free to come to him in prayer with with full assurance, knowing that he hears and answers us. So to uncertain believers, to, to wavering hearts, to those who are troubled by people's departing from the faith, John sums it up for us in verse 23 and 24. He says, you want to be sure about where you stand before God? Well, hear this. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know that by the spirit he gave us. You see, this is John's conclusion from the last couple of chapters. It's what he's been saying time and time and time again in the first three chapters. You want certainty? Believe in Jesus. You want certainty? Live like Jesus. You want to be sure? Trust in Christ, the one who laid down his life for you. Live like him as you love your brothers and sisters around you. 
then you can be certain, no matter what others say, no matter what others do, then you can be certain that you belong to God. That your life is hid with him, that he now lives in you by his spirit. And so, for you today, is your heart troubled? Feeling uncertain or unsure? John speaks the truth to your heart. Truth number one, don't be surprised when the opposition comes. If you read your Bible, it's been happening from the beginning. Truth number two, remember what real love is. It's self-sacrifice. It's following Jesus' example. And truth number three, if you trust in Jesus, seek to live like him because you're one of his children. John says, speak the truth to your heart. Speak the truth to your heart. Which is why it's crazy. It's just sheer madness when we stop reading our Bibles. When we starve our hearts of the truth that we need to hear over and over again. Which is why it's crazy. It's madness when we stop meeting together. When getting together for church on Sunday, going to community group each and every week, when that becomes the optional extra in our life, rather than the vital lifeline. Because when we do that, we're silencing the chance to speak the truth to one another. We're missing the opportunity for the word to dwell richly amongst us as we pray and as we sing this truth into our hearts. And it's crazy for us to stop loving one another, living out the family likeness. Uh, That brings meaning and purpose to our lives. That puts flesh on the bones of the truth of showing one another what what it looks like to, to live in sacrificial love like Christ has loved us. So let God speak the truth to your heart. Last week I referenced a, a theologian called J.I. Packer. Uh, he's got a brilliant book called Knowing God. Uh, and in it he sets out six core truths uh, for the follower of Jesus. And here they are. I'm a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My saviour is my brother. Every Christian is my brother and sister too. And what Packer says, he says, speak this truth to your heart over and over again. He says, say it to yourself over and over, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the bus, any time your mind is free and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it's all utterly and completely true. So if you trust in Jesus, if you seek to live like Jesus, let me speak to your heart. You are God's child. God is your father. Heaven is your home. Every day is one day nearer. Your savior is your brother. Every Christian, every follower of Jesus is your brother and sister too. Let that truth penetrate your heart so that your heart might not wander. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it can be so easy to be troubled when we see people walking away from you. 
But Lord, we pray that your word might speak to our hearts. That we might know the truth about those who have left. That we might know the truth about how we should live following Jesus' example. That we might know that we can rest assured in your presence. Knowing that Jesus has saved us. Knowing that our lives can have meaning and purpose as we seek to live for him and like him. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.